0: Hello everybody, welcome to the fire science show. In the history of fire science and fire engineering, we had the important books that marked points on the timeline of development of fire protection engineering as a field, I guess. We had the SFP handbook being published that for the first time gathered all the knowledge we had on fire engineering in one place. We had brilliant books by Quintiri by Drysdale, which paved the road to teach fire engineering as real science. And every now and then, an important books come out that is just important for the society. And today, in, in today's episode, we're going to talk about the book. We're going to talk about a book that has just been published. It's called The Handbook of Fire and Environment, edited by Professor Brian Mitchum and Professor Margaret McNamee. You guessed correctly, both of them are the guests of the today's episode, but in this interview, I mean, it's not that we're going to try and sell you the book. That's not the point of it. The point of it is to understand why today we need handbook that covers fire and the environment. That's a really tough question to answer. That, that Did something change? Did we mature enough to start considering that? What do we even mean by considering the environmental aspects of fires? As I have been involved in writing this book uh, through my chapter on fire and smoke modeling, Uh, I seen the process. It was a really long and interesting journey to have this piece of knowledge delivered to the community. And looking through the book, I think it's gonna play an important role in our society. And if you take a while to accompany me in this interview listening what Margaret and Brian have to say on why they wrote the handbook and how they want it to be used on what they expect of it to become, I guess you will share my viewpoint that book of this kind was very necessary for our profession and it's going to benefit everyone. So, if you want to learn more about why environmental issues should be considered when doing fire engineering, stay here with me. Let's spin the intro and jump into the interview. Welcome to the Fire Show. My name is Wojciech Winkzyński and I will be your host. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Far Science Show. I'm today here with Professor Margaret Magnamy. Hello, Margaret. Great to have you back in the podcast.
1: Hi, Wojciech. Great to be here.
0: Really happy to have you here. And together with us, Professor Brian Mitchum. Brian, you're also a comeback to the show. Really happy to have you back. Yeah, happy to be here, Wojciech. This is great. And uh,
2: thank you very much for inviting me back.
0: We have a good reason to be here in this group. And uh, the reason is to celebrate. The handbook is out there. Handbook of Fire and Environment. Yay! Good Whoa. job, guys. Yay. Yes! <laughs> we did it. Yes. It must be an, such a great feeling to have a handbook off your shoulders. I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> really happy and really very happy to be a part of it. So, guys, you've p- published a major piece, a handbook of Fire and Environment, and I would really love to learn. Why, why you did that? Like, What was the, What was your first thought many years ago when this started? When did it start even? So tell me the story of the beginnings of, of this book and why it was important to, to write such a piece.
2: Well, in the beginning, man created fire by rubbing sticks together. <laughs> and ever since then, there's been an impact on the environment that we haven't dealt with very well. But after a few thousand years, we realized that fire really causes problems to the environment, whether it's the built environment with our buildings or the natural environment with anything from wildfire or the impacts from manufacturing and and human impact in our daily lives. And so we thought it was time to actually bring what we knew together into a single resource that could be a starting point for people trying to understand better What the problems or issues are relative to fire and environmental impact, you know, all the way from impacts on buildings to social structures to the environment. And so we uh, kicked this off back in 2016 and with a few issues on on this little (laughs) bug called COVID-19 that caused problems for a couple of years, we were finally able to pull it all together. So. Thanks to you, Wojciech, as an
0: author, all the other authors, and and Margaret, and uh, we made it. Yes, we we made it. Margaret, when did you realize it's not a subject for a paper rather than is a subject for a handbook?
1: Well, I think I've known for a long time that the topic itself is just incredibly diverse. There are so many different things when we talk about the environmental impact of fire, then you know it's it's easy to see how many different aspects of fire safety and fire safety science it really touches onto absolutely myself in my career I've worked in a number of different topics you know both industrial building related social firefighter organizational all sorts of different topics that a lot of them have been or most of them have in some way or other been related to the environmental impact of fires or fire and sustainability. And when you start to see how broad the topic is, then you realize as well that, number one, it's a very important topic that many people are trying to relate to, trying to deal with in many different ways. And it's also something that you know we need to really bring together a lot of what we know at this point as kind of like a benchmark so that we can rather than have a whole lot of different individuals doing very disparate things about fire safety and sustainability, to try and actually bring different groups together and see if we can summarize, you know, what we know today and how we can move forward. And that's, you know, at least in part what we've tried to do. That's a really big ambition, but in part what we've tried to do with the handbook.
0: My immediate thought to the idea of writing a handbook was, Oh, so so we do start caring about the environment now. I mean, it's it's not an obvious one. I, it's not that we did not care about the environment at all. But if you look to how engineering was done, or at least the part of engineering, building engineering that I'm familiar with, if I was designing my smoke control system, as long as I could exhaust the smoke from the building, I was good. I, I never really did care that much about where it will go. When I exhausted, you know, my only interface with environment problems of the environment were really when we started doing wind engineering. And the reason why you've invited us to the handbook was to to cover the the wind and fire issue. When we started doing wind engineering, it's very difficult to not notice that your smoke is flying somewhere Mm -hmm. and that the fires, how to say it, region of damage does not end inside the building. But it's not that I've started designing my buildings, uh, having an environment in mind from that point. I recognize the issue, but it's not that I've started. designing. So you think we are in in some paradigm shifting moment where environment starts to become a really important piece of the fire safety equation?
2: Yeah, I think environment, sustainability and, and resilience are becoming social objectives, Right, And fire safety engineers to be responsible actors in society have to take protection of the environment and the resilience of our communities and sustainability for the future as core values. And so it's really important for the fire safety science and engineering community to really look at you know the implications of fire, on the environment and the three aspects of sustainability, which include also, you know, economy, society, and the environment, and look at how we bring people together. And so when we kind of laid out the book in this first edition of the handbook, we wanted to tell that story. So we start with kind of historically significant fires we talk about fire fundamentals and your chapter on on smoke modeling. We have emissions measurements so that we understand people get a picture of fire and, and how you model it and and how you measure the impact. Mm-hmm. And then looking at fires and buildings, wildland fire, the chemicals and those impacts, and then how we can analyze and, and mitigate the fire. And the idea is You know, we want readers from all disciplines and all interests to look at this, and they might have different starting points. And so we Mm -hmm. give them an overview of the issues, and and in the end, we bring it together in really trying to think about development of sustainable and resilient, fire-resilient built
0: environments, which tries to think holistically about the problem. Margaret, you've authored the Historically Significant Fires chapter I wonder going back through the history in a structured manner to write a handbook chapter, and uh, it's a lot of work to write a handbook chapter. You guys, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know if you realized before, but oh boy, that that's a journey. Anyway, going in a structured way through the literature, through the historically significant fires, like what were your realizations about where we are now in terms of recognition of environmental issue? I mean, we had some huge catastrophical fires. outside of this view, you don't really hear about the environmental aspect that much. Or you had a different view when you went through literature?
1: Well, I think when we went through the literature, there are so many historically significant fires that we could have chosen. And when you go through the literature on different types of fires that have had a significant impact from one point of view or the other... Then often you don't get a lot of information about, okay, well, what was the environmental impact of that particular mm. fire? Because historically, we really haven't looked at it from that point of view. Historically, we've looked at it from the point of view of, okay, how many people have been impacted? or has business been affected, or how many buildings have been impacted, things like that, and not so much about emissions or trying to understand what the cost of replacement of different types of products that were involved in the fire and so on. So uh, it turns out that when we were putting together that that check, a lot of the fires that we would be interested in putting together more details about, because I think that it would be interesting hopefully for the reader to be able to access that kind of information, then we don't have a lot of environmental impact type information available for some of the big fires. And and that's something that I think would be interesting in the future to try and produce, say, a new analysis of some of the big fires, looking through a different sustainability or environmental impact type of lens. But some of the fires that we've chosen have been chosen particularly because of the fact that they were fires that were seen as being environmentally significant at the time that they occurred. And so people have um, made an analysis of and saved information about what the environmental impact of those fires was. And in some cases, you do find that legislation has changed as a result of the fire and the environmental mm. impact of the fire, the Sandoz fire, for example. Uh, But we're also trying in that chapter to push things a little bit in terms of understanding that it's not just the huge fires, the the big industrial facilities or something like that, that are causing an environmental impact, but also the everyday fires that occur on a regular basis over a period of, you know, a year or whatever, then they are accumulating to give a significant environmental impact as well. Uh, and so I you know I think that we need to be able to think of this in many different ways when we're moving forward in order to be able to understand that it 's not just industrial type fires that we need to be making a consideration of the environmental impact, but all
0: fires I love how you position that because you don't have to burn a chemical factory to produce a very nasty substances in the fires i'm it's just the way what fires do; they produce nasty substances. And that's what you release Mm -hmm. to the environment. And you've also mentioned Sanders fire, which which brings me to a question that I just wanted to ask you. In Sanders, there was, if I recall it correctly, it led to a significant pollution of the river Rhine with uh, mass deaths of fish and over a long, long distance of the river. So it was definitely a, a local catastrophe for the ecosystem. So I personally, for me, the pollution is smoke, you know, the I'm a smoke control engineer. I'm sorry. I I think in smoke. But maybe even more importantly, there's uh, soil pollution. There is water pollution. And what is very interesting when you start to look at it from a holistic point of view, this does not necessarily come from just fire. Even the extinguishing action, even the chemicals we use to contain fire, even those are in some way dangerous to the environment. and. If you want to look at the big picture, you have to take them into account. Maybe you can bring me into the, the world of soil and water pollution and the other aspects that smoke engineer would be blind for. <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, it's certainly important to think of the environmental impact of fires as not just being through the plumes, so through the, the smoke emissions, although that is a very important aspect but also in terms of the fact that the plume can then lead to deposition or the debris can lead to interaction with the soil or uh, the fact that you can have emissions coming into either surface or groundwater. But also that those are all your immediate local types of environmental impacts. But we also need to try and understand that the environmental impact of fire is not just related to that, it's also related to a more global understanding of environmental impact that comes from the more uh, environmental field, if you will, rather than from the fire safety science field originally. And that's through thinking of things in terms of the total life cycle, Mm -hmm. if you will, of the product and the fact that if a product is involved in a fire, then that cuts that life cycle short. And so you would need to then replace that product in many cases. And the replacement of that product before it's able to continue its full life cycle, that also has an environmental yep. impact. And by not understanding that, by not including that, then we would be significantly underestimating the benefits of making sure that we actually avoid fires So not just by avoiding the emissions from the fires, but also avoiding the fact that we would need to replace those products so that they can complete their life cycle, if you will. I think that you also bring up an important point that we see here in the that we tried to cover, at least in the handbook, by having chapters on things like, okay, well, what is the environmental impact of the mitigation, the mitigation aspects that we're trying to introduce in order to be able to... Uh, mitigate the fire. So things like using different types of chemicals or using sprinklers or different building methods and things like that, that that can change the way that a fire could occur or the development of fire. And recognizing that those mitigation activities may also have an environmental impact.
0: I really love how for you, this environmental care and sustainability and and resilience truly are like one thing. Like, if I talk to you, you just jump from one to another like they are one exact same thing. And I think that's a very nice way to think about it because these things are like so connected to each other. that They, they maybe essentially are one thing, but many engineers would not think like that. So I, I hope the message of the handbook and what we are doing outside of the handbook, all, all these talks that will help build this. Uh, message in people's head, because once you realize that, once you start thinking in that way, it's inevitable. You have to deal with uh, the environmental consequences of your fire. Like There is no way out. It's ridiculous to not do that. So it's subconscious what you do, but I really appreciate it. I, I like it a lot. And Brian, to what extent wildfires were a thing for you when we, you've started work on this handbook? Because if you think about the scale of the fires, I think emissions from a single huge wildfire would stop emissions from any petrochemical landfire, maybe. I don't, I don't know that that's an opinion, not a fact. But, but wildfires seem to be a significant contributor to the environmental damage. And they are in the book. There's a chapter on wildland fire, there's a chapter on mitigation strategies for wildfires. So you've obviously thought about that. I would love to hear like to what extent this was an important thing and how you place this fire risk against, for example, building risks or industrial risks.
2: Yeah, it's really a pretty complex topic and it was important to cover wildfires, but we also have to remember that wildfires are natural events. And Mm -hmm. so that's been part of the environment since the beginning of time. And some of the issues are the climate change that is resulting from poor resource management is increasing temperatures, which is driving the magnitude and number of wildfires. Plus, we're building more in the wildland or what we call the wildland urban interface and as we put more buildings uh, which are not only residential but we put more industry into those areas now you're taking what was natural fires that you know would be burning anyway and you're adding the contribution of the buildings and the materials stored in the buildings and the other components that make the actual fire impacts all the more significant. So again, you have to kind of look at it as a holistic system. We've always had wildland fire. It's part of the environment, but the way we have managed or not managed wildfires and wildfires in the wildland urban interface and not controlled the buildings that are put in those spaces and now we're bringing it all together multiplies that environmental impact at different scales, right? So you have a wildland fire, you have a much bigger scale problem. You have factories within that wildland fire area, then you know get back to your smoke and, and, and fire modeling. your plumes are bigger, your your dispersion is bigger, the area of impact is bigger and we're creating bigger problems and we don't think about each aspect how do you control you know the forest management how do you control the design of the urban environment to have natural fire breaks and other things do you need additional fire protection on buildings in those areas to mitigate the additional environmental impact if a wildland fire occurs? And so what we're doing is multiplying the problems that you might have at a local community level when you put it in the wooey when you subject it to the bigger fires we're having because of climate change, because we haven't been sustainable. So it's back to it's all integrated and we really haven't thought enough about it.
0: Obviously, because we don't have very good solutions yet. I like this way of thinking as it leads to producing solutions. Now, as the handbook is is published in the SFP engineers series, let's try to do some engineering. So it's also meant to be a useful tool for engineers. I think you've either said that in the introduction or in the green room, it's like for an engineer to you know, take the book to the hand and work with it on, on this aspect. So I I first thing that comes to my mind is how do we measure environmental issues? How do we measure environmental issues of fires and impact?
1: You know, I think that there are a lot of answers to this question. And it's a surprisingly uh, multi-layered question in some ways, depending on what aspect of the environmental impact of fires you're interested in. Then there will be different input provided to you, I think, in the handbook in a number of the different chapters. So in order to be able to start looking at what the environmental impact of fires is, uh, then you need to understand, say, what is a fire and how does it develop and and what kinds of emissions are are going to be produced? How do you characterize what those emissions are? Where might those emissions go in terms of how they interact with the environment? And then what kinds of models do we have out there that this kind of data can be input into and and there are a number of different chapters in the handbook that can give you guidance on lots of different points of this and and i think one of the things that we've been sort of talking about that each of us comes back to this whole idea of looking at things holistically You know, he's both within the chapter that I I co-authored on tools and techniques for impact analysis, where we're looking at life cycle assessment types of techniques Mm. or life life cycle thinking. Uh, So different types of models that maybe aren't a full life cycle assessment, but are using that kind of methodology in order to be able to approach the complexity of the fire and environment question. But then also the final chapter that maybe Brian wants to speak to more that is, you know, about trying to put together a methodology where we can look at the multifaceted aspects of, say, an engineering approach to design to make sure that we, you know, we take care of different, both fire safety and sustainability type questions when we're in the design process. Yeah. I don't know, Brian, you were, we wrote that chapter (laughs) together, but you were the, genius behind the basic idea the, <laughs> that we, the we mas, discussed and The mastermind. And worked out. So,
2: <laughs> the mastermind. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know about genius, but I mean... <laughs> mastermind, yes. <laughs> it, you know, if you look at the, the structure of the book a little bit, what we try to yeah. do, handbook, is take you from the fundamentals, from the fire, the smoke modeling emissions, to buildings, to wildland fire and, and tools mitigation strategies, and then looking at how it all comes together. And
0: you really do that. Like what Margaret just said, what is the fire? What emissions does the fire produce? Where do they go? How do we measure what they do there? And how do we mitigate what they do there? It's all like, it's that's table of contents of the handbook. Like really, there is a chapter for every of these questions. And I certainly appreciate that (laughs) very much. So so then you reach the, the final chapter, the SAFER-B methodology or framework. So go on, Brian, t- tell us more about, about the concept of, of this.
2: Yeah, so what we wanted to do was tell the story, right? You have all of these issues that are important to understand. And if you come in from a different discipline, you have a different understanding. So some people will start at the beginning and others will come in later in the story. But at the end of the day, the intent is really that we should be thinking about how we develop sustainable and fire-resilient built environments. So that's the safer BE idea. And Mm -hmm. that's really made up of three components, uh, sustainable and fire-resilient buildings, infrastructure, and communities, because you have to look at, across those scales from the buildings and the contents and all the issues Margaret talked about before with LCA and other, to looking at the infrastructure systems that we have that includes water resource, includes energy systems and others to support the community. And then you have the community, particularly when you are in this wildland urban interface, that you're trying to make sure it's resilient to these fire effects. And so you can't look at any of those scales, the building, the infrastructure, or the community without thinking about what are attributes of sustainability that a community or a building owner or an individual is trying to put into place, and how could fire cast a problem on achieving a sustainability objective or actually work to counter that by producing a bigger environmental impact because you didn't consider fire as part of your overall sustainability concepts. So what we're trying to do is to get people to think that you can kind of create, you know, the sustainability objectives that, you know, people want to achieve in energy efficiency, resource efficiency and so forth and achieve the fire safety objectives that you want to in terms of people, property, environment, heritage and all the rest. But you do it holistically so that you don't take, for example, the intent to make a building energy efficient for sustainability reasons without considering the fire impact of the photovoltaic system as an ignition source or insulation systems that may be combustible or structural systems that may be combustible such that uh, sustainability for one purpose creates a, a potential fire problem, you try to balance the sustainability objectives with the fire safety objectives so that you have a robust system from a sustainability and fire resilience perspective. And then you can scale that concept from the building to the connecting infrastructure to the community so that you have a holistic approach to this idea that A sustainable future is one that requires a fire-resilient space. And I think that's what we're trying to do is to create not only the thinking there, but in the future, tools for helping to actually design for uh, sustainable and fire-resilient built environments. So it's kind of laying the groundwork for hopefully much more development in the future but trying to get everybody to kind of think in this way so that the decisions they make about building fire safety design and about sustainability design are integrated
0: and also community design and so forth. But then again, at each of these levels, at each of these layers, you need to be able to identify the issues, measure the issues, design some scenarios to consider. I guess these are the parts of the framework that really go into the work. It's not just uh, philosophical thinking about, uh, let's think that the most holistic way I can think about the fire scenario is it, by identifying, measuring them and and finding the answer.
1: And, and I think, you know, one of the beauties of the way of looking at things like this is that from a fire safety community point of view, then we obviously are very focused on the idea that trying to meet or introducing extra regulatory sustainability objectives into the design process has had some unexpected impacts on fire safety. But I think, you know, historically, we can also see that some trying to meet some of our fire safety objectives has also had some sustainability implications. And so the model works in both ways. It can help us by, you know, bringing these two topics together, then it can help us both to make sure that any of the mitigation activities that we take part of in order to be able to create something that is fire safe, that they don't have unexpected sustainability implications and the same in the opposite direction.
2: And I think also, and this may be counter to most engineers' way of thinking, But we tend to go into details before we understand the problem. And really what we're trying to do here is to lay out the problem so that you're solving the right problem instead of solving that piece of the puzzle that you can quantify and feel comfortable with. And whether it's performance-based design that I've been talking about for a few decades now, Too many people solve the wrong problem by looking at... It's like the drunk looking for the car keys under a streetlight, you know, when the car is two blocks away. So why are you looking under the streetlight? Well, that's where the light is, right? So if you're only looking at that part of the problem that you know how to tackle, you have no idea whether or not you're creating more problems in the bigger picture. So at least I... Personally, didn't want to go to too many details to tell people how to do this until they understand what the problem is, because then we'll fall right back into well, what's the size design fire we should use and, and which uh, you know product of combustion is the most environmentally toxic that we have to deal with? And and that kind of misses the picture that you need to do this holistically with, with the other members of the design team, the planners, the community, and so forth.
0: Yeah, without the bigger picture, you're not really seeking for the answer. I can give a lot of examples where sustainability objectives would create this unexpected impact on fire safety. I mean, out of a hat, facades and the way how they've evolved is like number one example. But, but there's there's more, even batteries in buildings, energy storage in buildings. That's an answer to a sustainability problem. How do we store energy? How do we prevent blackouts by introducing uh, something that's possibly dangerous? Even electric vehicles uh, is in a way an answer to sustainability issue. That we need to change the modes of transport to, to non-emission ones. However, in, in my country, it doesn't work. It's just with coal-based uh, power plants. It's like uh, it doesn't hit the hit the <laughs> point. To be honest, even
1: Poland is going to get into the future too. So yes. You'll see. <laughs> with,
0: with, the, with the current coal prices, it's it's sooner than ever. But um, maybe you can give me a do you know an example of, of fire safety objective that really affected sustainability?
1: Yes. <laughs> I mean, one of them is the fact that we see firefighting foams have come very much into question, for example. So the fluorinated foams that we know have some very significant implications for the environment Mm. because of the fact that they're persistent chemicals Mm. that stay in the environment for long periods of time. And so they tend to get into the water system. They can contaminate different areas where they've been significantly so there is something where we've made some choices for fire safety that then have led to some questionable results from a sustainability point of view. But there are other examples. I mean, um, a, a number of different flame retardants have been questioned, for example, and certainly a lot of the research that I've done has tried to bring say, maybe a more balanced approach to that discussion of when can we see High fire performance through flame retardants as being a good sustainable solution and and when should we be seeking other sustainable solutions so the the question is is often quite complicated.
2: I was just going to say it 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 works in the other way. there are fire mitigation measures that are sustainable solutions, you know and a good example of that is sprinklers right? There's Mm -hmm. a good study by FM Global, there's studies by BRE, right? If buildings don't burn down, if you can control the size of fire to being much smaller, you're reducing the environmental impact. And particularly with sprinklers, that's a lower amount of water than, for example, the fire service would need if they're responding to a fire to put out the fire. And so we know that By controlling the size of the fire, we're controlling the environmental impact, and that's a sustainability measure as well. But where do you see sprinklers as a sustainability objective fit into any building regulation? You don't. You see policymakers talking all the time about, we have a new European Green Deal. We're trying to do more to save the planet. Okay, put sprinklers in buildings. You save lives, property, and the environment. (laughs) Nobody's thinking that way, so it's got to work both ways, and that type of thinking helps us look at photovoltaics, energy storage systems, building envelopes, you know, urban design in the wildland urban interface, putting buildings close together and getting radiant ignition, right? This was a problem we had centuries ago that we thought we had solved, right, conflagration, which we're seeing again. So we just have to be smart about what
0: we're looking at and, and how we apply what we know to the problem. If I apply Margaret's mindset and try to look at sprinklers, it's an evident uh, life cycle thing, you know, prolonging life cycle of a building. If it doesn't burn down, it lives longer. That's as simple as that. You don't have to replace it. You don't have to fix it to the extent where you would have if it was a fully damaged building. So so that's brilliant. And I, also had a podcast episode with a Swiss engineer, Ingo Reis. He's a tunnel guy. And Ingo was talking about resilient tunnels. And I, I think we've covered that in our episode, Brian, the tunnels are often the, the piece where they, they are in the front of innovation in fire. And these guys are already thinking that if I have sprinklers in my tunnel, I close it for one day after a fire. If I don't, I close it for months or years or maybe forever, which... Uh, gives you a completely different outcome in terms of re- resiliency of the building, but also the sustainability of the of the solution. So so I guess this is this new lens we are trying to propose in here and show how to use, not necessarily the the old fashioned how much kilograms of smoke I've emitted and how bad is that a kilometer away, right?
2: Well I think there's a whole range of components Part of it is, you know, what is the emission and what's the transport, what's the deposition going to be, and what's the impact locally or globally from that? But there's also, if you don't have that fire and you don't have that emission, then you don't have to calculate that, and mm-hmm. your impacts are lower overall. And as a benefit, you get a more resilient environment because you're you're not replacing materials and all the rest and so the measurements the impacts the scale doesn't have to change but the solution in terms of thinking how you can reduce the impact maybe presents more opportunities at the design stage which haven't been necessarily considered in the same framing
1: yeah, you know, I think that the handbook is trying to, uh, you know, approach these questions in this way by providing all of the different pieces. Well, maybe not all of them. I think that's we're not we're not quite there as far as getting everything in there, but providing a lot of the pieces of the puzzle so that people can start thinking in t- thinking outside of the box, thinking outside of their own comfort zone in order to be able to bring a more balanced approach to building design and to thinking about sustainability. You know, we're playing a little bit of catch up to a certain degree in terms of getting this handbook out. I think that's why we both felt it was really important to, to finally have it actually come out and be available to our colleagues around the world. And that's because of the fact that for for some time now, uh, we have a regulatory process which approaches fire safety and fire safety requirements in the built environment. And then we have an extra regulatory process that that there are sustainability objectives that are being dealt with. And because of the fact that one is regulatory and one is extra regulatory, then they're not necessarily interacting with each other perfectly. And so I would hope that this handbook is going to give some tools to some people that are involved in, in building design that can help to open this dialogue and to give um, a methodology for various practitioners to actually start thinking in terms of sustainability practitioners to start thinking in terms of fire safety and resiliency, and fire safety scientists to start thinking in terms of sustainability.
0: Mm, brilliant. and. If you were starting the process today, what would be the chapter 14 that, that would you add, having the knowledge of today versus what you knew in 2016, 17, 18, when this was uh, coming to life? Brian, you're the godfather, tell me. <laughs> well,
2: you know, I think partly it's, it's maybe not so much which chapter, but how much each chapter might develop in more detail. So there are some things like being able to do more with the LCA analysis that Margaret covers that in her chapter, but that could be done more. We could add material properties that are available now in terms of data that could be used to support some of these analyses, which we don't necessarily have enough of in there. We have some mitigation strategies you know, for wildfires, but we don't have mitigation strategies for buildings in the wildland urban interface you know some of that can build from the general chapter on mitigation strategies for buildings but as you co-locate these buildings differently you have different hazards and, and different mitigation strategies that you need to think about i think more on the suppression side i think we have a good chapter on firefighting chemicals but that's really a very big area that you know could, could have many other topics in terms of it's not just the chemicals but interactions so i'll, I'll stop there and, and go over to margaret but i think it, it's not hard <laughs> yeah. to look and see you can make some pretty good additions here to to build out the picture
1: Yeah, I mean, I I would agree in terms of that. I I think for the moment, one of the things that I would like to see in the future are maybe some some more worked examples of how do we actually Mm -hmm. apply some of the thinking that's presented here to actual building or community development. So some examples of how this thinking has led to improvements in robustness of, of building design.
0: If I think about it, Obvious user of the book is an engineer, fire safety engineer, someone who's designing, building community, region, whatever. But I, I think a really good target for this would be people who are the lawmakers, you know, the, the policymakers, the, the people in charge. Because this holistic view, when you're designing your piece of the pie and you're burdened with a holistic view, it's, it's very difficult, you know. You, Usually would like to drop this problem of yours into someone else's garden and and it's their problem now and they have to deal with it or, or drop it further away. So holistic thinking is not easy in, in, in fire safety engineering, which is traditionally done in silos, which it should not be, but it, it is what it is. But I think lawmakers, they they have the, the full field. They have possibility to really change the playing field, the, the whole thing thing to to promote this type of a holistic thinking and this type of creating the world seeing not only the most immediate aspects of of the fire but seeing the greater picture that would be a beautiful world if, if legislators were like that
2: yeah i think we tried to target this book for almost everybody right i i think We tried to leave the policy kind of ideas to the end to build up to that if you didn't have the background to understand it. And Mm -hmm. you could start there if you had more knowledge. But I think it would really benefit policymakers, but I don't think they're the only ones. I think it's the people Mm -hmm. advising the policymakers that really need to be thinking about this. And what I would really see as a win for the use of the handbook is having it used in multidisciplinary education courses. So be a part of ecology courses. Be a part of fire safety engineering courses. Be a part of architecture courses, right? To get to systems thinking, you have to start it when you're early in your education. More and more, the education process pushes you into a narrower and narrower way of thinking to demonstrate your expertise when the problems are complex and need integrated solutions. So I would really be happy if universities around the world use this in a variety of different disciplines as part of educating the next generations about how these big problems need to be thought at a more systems approach and then that would percolate up through the system, through the policymakers and those that advise them. But you know, we're really trying to give a big picture to people of it's a big problem, it's got a lot of components, but here's kind of a structured and a systematic way of getting you through the problem and
0: a potential solution if we're willing to take it on. So, so even non-fire experts or maybe even... Especially non-fire experts, because this is a, a complete pill of knowledge that even a non-expert can swallow and build their expertise as they process through the book. I guess that, that was also reason for, for structuring like that. I think it's a, it's a brilliant piece of, of educational material for non-fire experts who would like to understand this impact.
1: And I hope you know in the in the next edition. I mean, now we're enjoying the first <laughs> yeah. edition, so we don't want to spend too much time. Yes. <laughs> but in nonetheless, if we if we look forward a little bit, then you know I would hope at the moment the handbook is very much about fire safety engineers talking to each other about the way that they think about fire in the environment and mitigation of fire impact on the environment. But it would be nice in future editions to also see non-fire scientists writing chapters about, you know, what is their take on how fire safety impacts on sustainability from their point of view, from the sustainability point of view. Uh, Because then I think we'll see that the depth of what's being presented in the handbook and the different points of view will actually enrich each other.
0: I also think uh, listening to like chemical engineers or, or process safety engineers be very interesting in here because we we've here or actually he did it personally the book starts with the historical fire so there's a plethora of knowledge related to fire and significant fires that, that occurred that that gave us the understanding of the problems complexities uh, there has been even more significant like chemical failures or other incidents that also affected environment societies at all these layers, and I'm pretty sure we can exchange the, the knowledge cross disciplinary, even uh, things like earthquake management and the things that we see now in coin communities. You know, there are, I, I personally see similarities in how we manage the community response to a large threat that occurs in a certain region, and then this is for, for me, it's something that could be a nice addition as as the handbook develops in many years from now. I hope, don't make me rewrite the chapter, please. <laughs> <laughs> we don't make you
2: do anything. we volunteers only. <laughs> I know, but
0: it's hard to say no. <laughs> it, it's, it's hard.
1: You did such a great job, too, chef, so. <laughs> it, It's hard
0: to say no, and you know that. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. for me, myself, uh, as, as we're moving towards the end of the interview. Personally, it was really nice because I'm so used to doing CFD and you've asked me to summarize uh, the models and I realize CFD is not the sole model, even though in my chapter I've placed it as something for near field. It's not very feasible to, to use CFD to understand uh, the consequences around Boston if the fire is in New York. It it's doesn't make sense to, to do that because we have other tools to do that. And I knew these tools because in, in my professional career, I've used some of them. I, I've did some release analysis, like large uh, industrial accident analysis and so, so on. So it was very refreshing to, to go back and try to really g- give a good summary of what we do that. And it was very refreshing to see many of these models still being developed, many of these things still being maintained and and so many great new things that, that happen in, in the field of understanding the missions. And now it's, uh, we have this this windy thing now today. We, we didn't have that five years ago. It's a great tool, online tool, where you see the weather around the world. It, it shows you winds, but you can see, you can literally spot fire plumes in that software. If you turn on the, the particular matter layer, you really do see real-life images or measurements of where the smoke from large fire goes. It shows you active fires. I think it's really brilliant. And because it's so accessible now and so obvious, you can just you know turn on the map of Siberia now and check out how many fires are going over there. Right now, you can turn on map of Ukraine where literally you can see the front of the war because of the fire layer. And you can see emissions from that. This is also something I don't think we've thought about that much for the last decades even. Brian may remember that. (laughs) Me me and Margaret there. For decades, I don't think we've thought about war fire emissions. And yet, very nearby me, there's a big issue with that, I guess. Also something to, to think about for future.
1: I actually have some colleagues who from the university in Lund who are, are doing work on um, fire emissions through war mm-hmm. fires. But they've been mainly focused on Syria and uh, places like that. So not the Ukraine, although obviously the Ukraine is a very high profile war at the moment where, where we're definitely seeing fires. I know, um, for example, there was a fire that was started through shelling very close to Chernobyl mm-hmm. early yeah. in the war.
0: With a possible um, So,
1: I mean, these mm-hmm. kinds of things can have huge implications. But one, one thing I wanted to catch on to there while you were speaking about your own personal insights when you were writing your chapter, I think, you know, Brian, you would echo if I say the book would not have been possible without the fantastic contributions that we've received from the various chapter authors from around the world. And I know from my point of view, I've learned so much by reading the various Mm. chapters. I've been working in the area of the environmental impact of fires for almost 30 years. And there's just the field has matured so much during that period of time. And there are people around the world making significant contributions in this area and have offered very generously of their time to write chapters like Mm. yourself.
0: Being inside the the Dropbox, I had a sneak peek, and I really liked it. we didn't talk about that much, but there's a chapter on waste fires in the handbook, and it's so relevant to polish problem We, we had so much problems with with waste fires, and it was a sig- it, it still is a significant thing to discuss and for example, the fact that that such a topic comes to the handbook and is so well laid out it, it's it's very useful and beneficial and uh I will definitely use that chapter. Or my own. <laughs> and to echo Margaret's comments, we're indebted to
2: all of the expert authors who prepared these chapters and helped to uh, educate all of us, right? Because we all have learned a lot. We None of us can be expert in all the areas. And I think we've just been really fortunate to be able to have gotten so many experts in the diversity of areas we covered to provide really good chapters, informative, pointing to even additional resources to go in more detail. And for me, this is what a handbook should be, right? This is where you go, you know, to start with, to learn from the experts and to, you know, pique your own curiosity about where to go from there. Solving problems, it helps with that, but it also launches, you know, exploration. And I think, you know, that's a good outcome as well. And and we're indebted to you, Wojciech, and to all the other authors. So,
0: you know, a big thank you to all of you. Let's finish on this, on this very, very positive thought. So uh, usually I would ask people for resources, but uh, in this episode, this is kind of <laughs> obvious. I'll just drop the link to the handbook in the show notes.
1: Look, you know, yeah. when I was looking at it on Springer, you can either buy the whole book or you can buy individual uh, yeah. chapters. So, uh, yep. yeah. that's
0: a good opportunity there. <laughs>
1: yeah. And I, I know a lot of our colleagues around the world have uh, access to Springer mm. through their university accounts or through a variety of accounts. So, you should definitely check that out before you actually end up buying the book to make sure that you don't have uh, access to a copy through a connection through your organization. But otherwise, we hope that we've been able to jam pack it with so much information that it's worth, uh, you know, actually buying a copy.
0: And it's gonna look extremely <laughs> well on your on your shelf. So <laughs> a go to resource. A, <laughs> <laughs> a, this is definitely a go to resource. Okay, guys, um, thanks for all the work at the handbook and this little interview we just had. It was a great time, both participating in this project and listening the masterminds behind it on why they wrote the book. So yeah, thank you so much guys and, and see you around. Thanks, for your check.
1: Thanks a lot. Bye.
0: And that's it. Thank you for listening. I hope I did not oversell the book. <laughs> I'm a lousy salesman. That, that was not the point to I lure you into purchasing this magnificent handbook. I really hope you will understand the mindset of Brian Margaret and, and to some extent also mine why environmental effects should be considered along with fires what does sustainable build environment mean, what is resilience of the buildings and how all of these things interplay together. So I, I don't have very much to add into this uh, summary it was a joy to be part of writing a handbook chapter I mean I always dreamed about writing a handbook chapter, There, it has this nice cling to it you know I wrote a chapter in a a handbook. So yeah, I I was very happy when Brian has asked me for this chapter. And together with my co-author, Tomek Lipetsky, we've done our best to summarize the knowledge we have for far-field and near-field modeling of fire emissions. So I hope it is useful to a lot of you. If you have any further questions, comments, you would like to share your opinion about the chapter, please reach out to me. We're very, very keen to hear them and improve our work and deliver you even better content in the future. So, yeah, thank you for being here with me this Wednesday. And as usual, next Wednesday, I'm here with another interesting interview for you. Cheers, bye. This was the Fire Science Show. Thank you for listening and see you soon.